The Everything Sequel Podcast is brought to you by Tuity Fitness and the Vegas Beer Guys. The Everything Sequel Podcast contains explicit language, and I will not go to my room. Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Star Wars edition. Today, it's The Empire Strikes Back. Michael Schantz here of the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, of course, the man sizing me up with his lightsaber, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. What do you have for them, Tom? Laugh it up, fuzzball. <laughs> That's your Harrison Ford. You're up there with Mark Hamill. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I didn't know which way that was going to go. <laughs> That's great. Well, I, I, reali- I realized, uh, I don't know when I realized this. I watch a lot of Harrison Ford films as, as a matter of course. Yeah. Uh, I think he's... He was... I like the story of him finding out about Luke's father and him turning to him at the premiere and saying, Hey, kid, you didn't fucking tell me about that. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I um, this is a this is a re- and in spite you know in spite of everything else that makes this a great movie, this is also a great Harrison Ford pointing movie. Oh yeah, there's a lot of great point acting, and I realized how much just quite how much I've incorporated that into my own acting style. <laughs> right. Like pretty much, you see any show that I'm in, there'll be there'll be at least one Harrison Ford point in there. Nice. And I try and I try and do the my particular take on the the harrison ford point is the uh the fugitive double point oh nice yeah you know where he he does it if i get it, if i'm talking to two people on stage you you'll see think the, I... the point of <laughs> well he's in the yeah he it's when he's in the police station yeah. and being grilled and he goes you find this man and then he turns to the other side yeah you find this man oh yeah 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 so that's my and he does he does that in here but he also has the the pointing as shushing mm-hmm Lots of shushing a 3PO. <laughs> if, if he's not pointing, he's covering his mouth. This is the other part, and, and you know, part of the reason why I had that, that great, that great uh, quotable to start, which is delivered to Chewbacca, mm-hmm. is that this movie, like, you, and you've said it absolutely right, there's so, there's so much in these movies that was retrospectively ruined by the, the prequels. Yeah. Whereas... One of the reasons I like Solo so much is it fits so well. Yeah, that's with true. Empire. That's true. Like, it actually, I can think of both of them together. And not get pissed. And not get pissed, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And one of those is the relationship between Han and Chewbacca and the fact that, you know, Chewie's kind of laughing at, laughing at his idiocy. Mm-hmm. Laughing at him getting, you know, cock blocked, essentially. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and I just think, you know, the way that their relationship starts in... in solo like it's just you know it's just convenient you know it's just a a convenient arrangement rather than a lifelong you know friendship right i kind of like you know it makes moments like that stronger and i have a few instances of that in here i mean i'm i'm weirdly attracted to solo as a movie in a way that most people are not but I know. Watching this, watching <laughs> watching this movie makes me realize why it's my favorite of the non, the non original trilogy Star Wars films is is because it it doesn't it it. 
you can watch it in tandem with the original trilogy movies in a way you can't do with pretty much all of the other prequels. I kind of include Rogue One in there, although I do like that movie. I, I, I like Rogue One more than you. But but Rogue One's pretty egregious in rewriting the history of the original trilogy films, I think. Mm-hmm. Whereas, And people say Solo is, but I, I, I feel like I can keep them both in my head canon without any contradiction. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. But we're not here to talk about it. Yeah, we're <laughs> we are, of course, here, ladies and gentlemen. To... Or presumed innocent, for that matter. <laughs> Rusty Savage. <laughs> How did they get away with that name? It's a wrestler name, if ever I heard That's it. amazing. We are, of course, here, ladies and gentlemen, to talk about the 1980 film or sequel... The Empire Strikes Back, directed by Irvin Kirshner. Now, this movie has 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. Irvin Kirshner. I mean, I don't know, Tom. Do do you know? He's a sequ- he, he's a, he is a yeah. professional sequel filmmaker. There's a fine madness. There's a movie called Spies. But I think the movies that... that... S-P-I-E-S, I'll have you know. <laughs> I think the the movies the initialization. Sir. There you go. The movie that I think, or rather, the movies I think, uh, the other sequels that people know are Never Say Never Again, Hold for Tom's Applause, and RoboCop Two. <laughs> Hold for a golf clap at best. <laughs> Talking Never Say Never Again here. It's not Goldeneye. <sighs> so uh, and RoboCop Two, which which we'll tackle at day. some point. What a fascinating resume. what a career. Yeah, and it's it's sort of interesting. It's sort of in, in, if you look over that, you see like Empire Strikes Back, great sequel, RoboCop Two, could go both ways, and then Never Say Never Again, which is not very well regarded. Yeah, right. So it's the gamut. He's the gamut of yeah, of exactly. Filmmaking. He 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 does run the gamut of sequels. Yeah. Well, so and this particular sequel, as we've already stated, is you know sort of revered. Yeah. Uh, not just within, you know, the the franchise itself, but in all of moviedom. It took a while, though, right? Yeah, I, mean, I think it, I think you're right about that. I think that the you know it, it wasn't as it, it wasn't as popular when it first came out as it has come to be subsequently. At least, I mean, revered. Correct. No, I shouldn't say right. popular because, of course, it was a. But on you know a budget of eighteen million dollars, an opening weekend of four point nine. That budget, by the way, all George Lucas's own money, so that he could just do whatever the fuck he wanted to do. Fair play. Without interference from the studio. He's a scab. Right. Smart. <laughs> He's a scab, though. Let's. Uh... Uh, in the USA. <laughs> in the USA, two hundred and ninety-two point seven million dollars. In the world, five hundred and thirty-eight point three million. And of course, those tallies just kind of keep going up and up because these movies keep going back into theaters. Even Jaws, Jaws was in the top ten again this past weekend. Wow! Because it's back in theaters now on IMAX. When we're recording this, as we're recording this, yeah, yeah. Tom is Tom is finding the courage to to muster on after a death in the family. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> That's right. Me, me old Aunt Liz. Yeah. 
Um, the queen is gone. I th- but again, since we're you, talking about the you, Empire no, wait, Strikes since Back. Up, since you brought up Jaws, I should tell that that anecdote. Not to take us on a tangent quite so early. But uh-huh. It's not like... Because we, we, we got nothing to talk about. Yeah, right. Movie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, that that I, I saw that Jaws was back in theaters. Mm-hmm. But it was advertised as being in 3D. Yeah, I saw that. So I thought Jaws 3D was in theaters. Yeah. <laughs> and I must have been the only person who was excited... Yes that that was happening and then disappointed that it was actually just Jaws. <laughs> and that just shows me how I'm, how just shows the listeners how my mind has been warped by this podcast. Yeah. I would have been equally excited. I know. For a Jaws I, 3D. You're the other host of this podcast. So your mind is also warped. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that, I mean, you know, that there you have it. I mean, th- that's the, that's the front half of, uh, you know, all our important information, all the logistics of this movie. Mm. This movie also, uh, I think I mentioned this on our our ranking episode. It's got a special achievement award winner for its effects. Yeah. Uh, best sound. It won an Academy Award for, but it was also nominated for best art direction, best music. Yeah. And wow. I mean, it's. It's a high watermark of all those yeah. technical aspects of filmmaking. Which is remarkable to me, because it doesn't win Best Art Direction or Music. I mean, at least it won sound. Yeah. Uh, and when you talk about music... I mean, I, you know, uh, what can I say? The Oscars, like the Razzies, don't really understand what filmmaking is. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, sort of, I don't want to... You know, I don't want to offend anyone who takes it takes Oscars the awards seriously, but they they don't they don't understand what's really truly great about filmmaking. Well, I can't completely disagree with that. <laughs> and as you know, a film like this and the reputation the re- the this film is too fun for them to ever. Consider. Yeah, right, right. They don't but, get fun. So it they gets think this. You have to suffer through a movie to to for it to be good. Let me ask you something just right off the bat, because we're talking about these nominations, and one of them's best music. Hmm. And it's not as though John Williams is not revered because he is. Yeah. But is he also? One of my notes is that he's sort of the unsung MVP of this movie and probably the whole series. Um, I, I I don't disagree with that. I'd say sound. I'd include Ben Burt in that. Yeah, as well, sure. I think uh, maybe we'll talk about that more in the in the next. I mean, I think I think Ben Burt's masterstroke is in Return of the Jedi. But uh, yeah, I mean, th- this is the th- this is the thing. I don't even think you can. I mean, for the purposes of talking about it, we will. But I don't think you can single out one technical element. You're right. Yeah, 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 they, yeah. They fit together like like. Like Hands in a glove, model. or yeah, right. And that is, you know, what, and maybe that's why it's so hard to sort of like a reward what they've done because it looks so seamless and effortless all of the time. Mm-hmm. And that's because every single department is not only working at full capacity, they're also working at full capacity with each other. And this is just unprecedented in, uh, in like any other fantasy cinema that I can think of. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but. Yeah, absolutely give and you know the journey of John Williams 
through the Star Wars films is really interesting. I mean, I don't know if you if you know or if the listeners know, but it. I mean, originally this this was a, a classical jukebox soundtrack for Star Wars was envisioned, and they brought John Williams in. And he came up with original compositions that were nonetheless based on famous pieces of classical music. So there's a great deal of holster planets right. in his Star Wars score, like unabashedly ripping it off. Mm-hmm. Um, because that was the kind of soundtrack they thought they were going to have. And he's kind of playing to that, but adding his own. Uh, um, but, you know, it's fascinating with John Williams. Um, you know, he has he's written one score in his lifetime and each movie is just a variation of that score (laughs) and that you know you can use that to detract from him but you could also use it to praise him because not when you get to catch me if you can that's that's its own thing when you when you hear you hear it you instantly know it's john williams so when you listen to star wars you also hear superman and raise the lost Ark. right yeah (laughs) and and vice versa yeah true uh and you know that's a yeah, he's a real auteur in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a fascinating... He he fits into these movies in a fascinating way, I think, given the, the rest of his career. Well, and let's talk just sort of right at the top of this movie because you always love to talk, uh, you know, before credit stuff. Not in this case. No? Yeah, because I was stuck with this low-energy Fox logo. Oh, I forgot that you first had to watch that. First 20 seconds of the movie. First, this is my first note. 20 seconds into the Mooney, I've seen nothing contemporaneous. <laughs> I've got a retrofitted Fox logo. I've got a retrofitted Lucasfilm logo. <laughs> That's terrible. Yeah. I got to watch the originals. I mean, le- so I, I got, know, I know. I got so t- what... Tell me how good it was. Oh, I got what <laughs> Lucas wanted, which was the extended 20th century, because 20th century had been kind of cutting down its own fanfare <laughs> logo. Now, now they don't even have words. Now they don't logo. have That's words. That's how much they cut it down. And, and Lucas years. said, no, I want the, 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 the super long, the everything oh, 20th yeah. century... And it's funny because I mean, even today, even today, when I see 20th Century Fox, I'm expecting and want that. And now I have none of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I I completely agree. What's interesting is, though, you know, I can I can see and hear that intro from memory. Yeah, right. It is no longer provided to me when I watch this movie for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) But what really what really struck me uh is also like this is the this is the first cinematic Star Wars sequel. Mm-hmm. It's difficult to imagine that there was a time where we didn't know all Star Wars films would start yeah, right. with the same music and the same titles. I mean that's not a given at this point. Mm-hmm. Empire could have got could have could have upset the apple cart well and, and the other and thing started in any way it wanted to yeah and yet what they do is they for at least for the first you know minute or so of this movie you get exactly what you got in star wars so that's quite canny because yeah. if you're a, if, if, if you only if you're you know one of those crazy star wars fans that you'll just be like well 
I'm happy with the first 30 seconds because it's Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like, it's 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 kind of clever. Yeah, absolutely. In a way that, we, you know, we take it for granted now because we know every every Star Wars, every trilogy, uh, every Skywalker saga, whatever the fuck you call them now, is going to start this way. But uh, Not all of them, though. That's why I like Rogue One. Cold open, its own thing. Yeah. Kind of cool. Yeah. All right, settle down. Um, <laughs> but here, I'll tell you something else. That I have no objections, but tread counsel, tread lightly, counselor. <laughs> um, I'll tell you something else that I found interesting that I don't think I realized was that the Empire Strikes Back was was originally the first time you saw Episode Five. Oh yeah. Star Wars did not say Episode Four. The studio wouldn't let George Lucas do that. Now they all say it now on this yeah. these you know new editions. But well, I think we've just found the first flaw in this movie. <laughs> first and last. Well, but my question to you was is there anything more iconic at the beginning of a movie than the Star Wars crawl? Right. But it's really interesting, you know, I I I try it's it's huge, you know, it's iconic, it's been parodied to death. Mm-hmm. But here I was only thinking about it in terms of, of like sequel conventions, mm-hmm. uh, which I'd, I kind of never really thought about before because it's it's performing both exposition and recap. Yeah. Uh, it's so giving get... you a little Superman 2 <laughs> well, it, in word form, of... in paragraph form. It, it tells you, you know, it sort of tells you about the events from the last film and what ha- what's happened since. Yeah. And what I realize on this view is a couple of things. First of all, you know, people talk about how different the Empire Strikes Back is from Star Wars. But it's interesting that it begins exactly the same. The rebels are in exactly the same position. Despite a huge victory. Yeah. They've won a battle and now they're on the run. Right. That's how Star Wars begins. Right. Exactly the same. So there's a reset there. Mm-hmm. Um, we're starting with something of a reset. Uh, but also, we really need this catch-up session because so much has happened since the end of the last film. Right. Darth Vader's become obsessed with Luke Skywalker. There was no hint of that yeah. in the last movie. Hoth? Well, this is brand new information. <laughs> what the fuck is Hoth? Why did you go to so, a, Why did you go to an ice planet? <laughs> well, that's another big question. <laughs> it's like find some find someone with a less with a more hospitable climate yeah. why why don't you um, but all of that was that those were all technical choices those were all lucas choices because uh hiding mat lines in outer space was easy and he wanted to make mm. it hard yeah so i respect so, it on that level I, no i mean i the, i think you know i've never really because of course and again if you if you take if you take the origins of the crawl back to what you know to to the original, mm-hmm. it was Brian De Palma's idea because he couldn't understand what was going on. Right. So when when he yeah I know that story movie, yeah he suggested to Lucas that they start with an opening crawl and it strikes me that it is just as necessary this time for us to for us to understand right. what's happened you know to to remind us of what happened and to fill in the gaps. Of what of uh, what's happened, and it sets up the movie so well. Again, like this, this take this for granted, mm-hmm. but it's it's great. Like when the because the first minute or so of the movie is wordless, and without that opening crawl, 
you wouldn't know what's happening. Mm-hmm. Like the probe landing on Hoth. <laughs> like out of context, a few, a you're few right. Words yeah. of that opening crawl, you know exactly what's happening, and you don't have to have any dialogue. You don't have to have any exposition, any verbal exposition for the next two minutes. Because other, otherwise, you'd have two guys talking to each other. Release the probe so we can see yeah. if we can find those alliance assholes. Which is a potential weakness of Star Wars, I guess, because because the opening crawl came afterwards that they also have that scene at the beginning of Star Wars. <laughs> it's like and and by this film you're like, Oh, we don't need both of them. Like now we know we're gonna start with an opening crawl, we don't need a verbal equivalent of this right. as well. So it's already it's already beaten the first movie <laughs> <laughs> in storytelling. Um yeah, and, and, you know, you get you get a couple of things, you know, they're building signature camera movements, which we'll see again and again throughout the, the franchise, doing that drop down through space yeah, uh, to end the crawl and begin the film. That becomes a, uh, that form, it, that's been done, that was done in the last movie, but here it's formulized. Right. Um, and you get a, like a, an indication of how the filmmaking ethos of this movie is going to be different from George Lucas's Star Wars because you you see the star destroyer this magnificent shot model mm-hmm. the effects everything is is working perfectly but it's not showy it's not trying to dazzle you not like the first through, movie right except through sheer plausibility you're going oh look look at these ships in space yeah this is really happening it's not a case of like wow it's not trying to wow you and that's where this film is, is, to me, is different. It comes from a different filmmaking ethos of trying to build out the fictional universe rather than exploiting it for spectacle and awe, mm-hmm. which Star Wars did, and did brilliantly. I'm not attacking Right, that. I was just going to say. Not what, that is not... You need that in the first movie, but now is, you've established yeah. that that's the universe. And so yeah. now you, and it's all, you, you can know, pan and, down and say, here we are. <laughs> And you've created this, you know, this this fictional world. Let's see more of it. Let's try and piece it together in a way that 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 it feels like an ongoing fictional universe in a way that the first film didn't. Mm-hmm. Magnif- I mean, just magnificent work on all fronts. No notes. <laughs> <laughs> Cut episode five, and then the rest is yeah. keep it. Um, <laughs> We talked a little bit in the ranking episode about the Light and Magic documentary. Yeah. I was struck by uh, the fact that the master shot we have of Hoth. The Tauntaun um, running? We zoom into a single, to Luke on a single Tauntaun, yeah. which is the kind of their, their kind of version of a snow camel. Yeah, um, but they talk about how, how difficult that shot was. <laughs> Well, that's it. I mean, the, the response of the person who had to make that shot was to George Lucas that that was that's impossible. Yeah, and to think about how natural and organic it feels to the scene. Right. Given that the first response to the person making it was this is impossible. Can't do it. <laughs> yeah, you've absolutely run the gamut of of you know you you've you've made a miracle happen and look like it happens every day. Right. And you spoke to that in our ranking episode. Uh, about this movie specifically. Well, all the movies, but just how effortless they make it seem. Yeah. So something that started yeah. off as being impossible. Yeah. And when the... F- you don't even notice it. Yeah, when the product is finished, it looks seamless and 
yeah. was, of, of course, probable. Yeah, it doesn't look like it would be difficult to do because it doesn't look difficult on screen. Yeah. I mean, it, and that's one of my first notes. My first, my first question magic. for I mean, you. That term is that term's overused, but it is cinematic magic. Yeah, and one of my first notes was let's talk effects: the tauntauns, the snow itself, the at ats. You know. Well, that's not an effect. No, yeah, you're right. That's just Sweden. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's just. Is it Sweden they went to? Norway. Yeah. Norway. Norway. That's just Norway. But uh, but what I love about the stories of it was that. The, the the blizzards were so terrible that a lot of the stuff like like Luke coming out of the the cave mm. uh, was shot twelve feet away from the hotel. Yeah, yeah. Through a window. <laughs> and it's and, you know it's could, one of those all... things of like Irvin Kershner where I just think that, you know there's a director that just says, "Let's do this. I can get this done." Yeah, with a, kind of immediacy. And just sort of, a, yeah, immediacy and, and practicality. And, well, not him himself, but willing to send Mark Hamill outdoors. <laughs> so maybe he's more like Lucas than we thought. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, you know, other behind-the-scenes uh, information that impacts on these scenes is, of course, this was, this was a way of uh, dealing with the Mark Hamill's facial injuries from his car accident. Yeah, I've heard both things. I mean, I've heard even Lucas kind of gave play to that, that we had to at least uh, take that into account. But I've also heard, you know, that he had pretty much recovered from the accident and his face might have looked just a little bit different. And I think that's but he wasn't still injured, I don't think. Well, his injuries are visible before he gets attacked, which is kind of a bit of a problem. Um it it a scene entirely created to make his face look different in worlds, but his face already looks <laughs> right. Um, I guess the hope, then maybe the hope, the snow would hide it a bit more. Maybe it's the rigors of HD that shows. <laughs> yeah, right. But I also, uh, and, you know, what I remembered because we were talking about that first shot as he approaches on the tauntaun, and I don't know if it was a conscious decision because it. It doesn't feel it's a hero revealing moment without sort of like the trumpets and fanfare of hero revealing moment. But I do remember. First of all, I want to say that the first three weeks this movie was released, it was only released on 70 millimeter. Mm. So there were fewer theaters that it was showing in because I remember having to go. uh it's not in existence anymore, but in here in San Diego, there was this. I don't think it exists anymore. There was this one, uh, a one screen theater, uh, oh. where. Is that Grossmont? No. No, 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 no. It was down oh, yeah. down in Mission Valley. Okay. Uh, but I remember having to wait online. I remember, you know, the huge theater. Mm. I remember going in, and I remember seeing Luke's face in the whole theater, just going bananas. Yeah, sure. You know, cheering. And yeah, but it doesn't put too fine a point on it. And yeah, right. That's the genius of this movie. I have the note here. Uh, when we get back to the base, we see R2 units, gonk droids, and that kind of that robot that looks like a sprinkler. Mm-hmm. And if you think about the equivalent scene in Star Wars, it's in the Jawa uh, uh, land cruiser droid repossessing vehicle. Yeah. Uh, the droid tow truck <laughs> that they have. 
and they each each of those droids have their own reaction shot mm-hmm. whereas here they're just in the background wandering in and out that's a huge difference it's just we're building a world we're not drawing attention to anything right. particularly within that world yeah. and it's the same with the with Luke's entrance the fact that the first Han Solo you you have is you hear his voice over the phone right again a very sequel thing to do um, <laughs> but, but it's not putting too fine a point on anything and i think that tonally it, that helps build the world but also tonally it makes this more interesting you can you can sit back and sort of make your own decisions about what's happening and what people are feeling and i don't think lucas has that level of subtlety right at least i mean he shows that in american graffiti but he certainly didn't show yeah right yeah you know what i also um, found interesting about this movie was I mean, we're right here at the beginning. We've seen Luke. We hear Han's voice. And the one thing I noticed that I, I, it was really, I, it's like a magic trick to me. And I don't know if it's in the writing, the directing, or if it's just the acting. But, you know, we don't leave Star Wars with a sense of uh, budding relationship at all between Han and Leia. No, I agree. That is, and the leap they're able to take. You will hear that both ways, but I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, I just think that you will hear that there is that they that they were established that they that the scenes that establish them as as interested in each other. I I don't think they are. In fact, I have that as a question. Do you think this starts now, or do you think this is carrying over? Well, I think I just think the remarkable thing is that they're able to build so much history. Yeah. Of things we haven't seen. Yeah. To this moment. Yeah, well, there's the bounty hunter in Old Mandel. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's continuing on... The fact that, you know, continuing on the Jabba storyline... Sure. I mean, that's something we could have reset if we wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're carrying on with that. And then we've got a sort of a mini retcon to deal with because he, you know, he kind of... He stayed with the rebels and now he's decided he wants to actually go and page our back right after all so yeah it's 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 actually you know it's this is a this is a young sequel right this is 1980 sure. not not a huge amount to go on and it's establishing a lot of the rules about how you deal with continuing the story right um how you how you move on from the previous film and also how you address the gap in between if you if you have one um but it's impressive it to me how how far, far along they're able to bring that relationship yeah. without ostensibly giving us I mean you meant talking about all the Yeah, time exactly, without like, Attack of the Clones. <laughs> um, <laughs> um yeah, no, absolutely. That's the difference, isn't it? Yeah. It's like just literally it's literally as simple as Luke saying Han old buddy. Right over the over the intercom Mm -hmm. like there's a sense of familiarity that's built into the dialogue that tells you these people we already know they've been through shit together but this implies they've been through even Even more more shit shit. and they're even more closely bonded than they were when we last saw them uh and the opening crawl does that as well yeah right that's it so it's all working together i also i love you know this is an aftermath sequel you know we've talked about these this kind of rocky two the falcons being repaired you know there's the damage has been caused because of what happened in Star Wars and and beyond. I always had more the sense of maybe uh, the things that had happened between Star Wars and now. Yeah, with the Millennium but I guess Falcon, it kind of works but both ways, it's sort of like 
it it gives it gets across to me the idea that the events of the previous film have has an has had a toll yeah now. uh and we do a really nice kind of reintroduction check in with every with with yes. the, with the main cast just checks in with everyone's progress and i think there's a crucial change at this point in the function of a couple of the characters mm-hmm. um c3po and r2d2 for for the majority of star wars were well it's from their they, point of view in star wars they were narrators yeah and they were audience surrogates sure whereas here early on they're very much established as comic relief mm-hmm. that's their function in this movie absolutely but but like to a t perfect for me yeah 3po the best, the, the best it's been yeah 3po is like the greatest greatest shakespearean chorus <laughs> uh comedic relief yes yeah they're clowns exactly they're clowns yeah They've gone from they've you know they've gone from the people in Shakespearean plays who are there to give us exposition to the people who are there to be clowns. Yeah, and <laughs> the like other that's... thing, the the other note I had in regards to three PO and R two D two specifically was how well I think the dialogue is written to include for the audience what R two D two is saying without making it sound hammy or making it sound uh, yeah. exposition filled whenever Luke or 3PO are talking with R2D2 the dialogue is written in a way in which it's perfect so that the yeah. audience can understand what R2D2 said if the beeps aren't enough yeah in a way so it, anyway it's just one of those those notes I had in which I same I, with I, Han and Chewbacca yeah yeah um yeah, the, the balance here is just right. And while we're talking about dialogue, I mean, the dialogue is... It's very clear the dialogue is a lot tighter than it's been in the previous Yes, movie. yeah. And yet, it, it remi- it's also a perfect... In in few to no words, they're able to synthesize what we know about the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, there's, there's like a... There's an offhand exchange between uh, Han and 3PO... Um, he's, you know, he, he arrives and says, can I ask you about X? And he says, why not? And he walks off and C-3P goes, impossible, man. Yes. And I'm like, that tells you all you need yeah. to know about those two. It reestablishes those two characters and that's four words. Right. It does that in four words. This movie works best and it's successful pretty much all the way through with making the choice of having either minimal or no dialogue. Yep. Agree completely. It makes that choice again and again. It's sort of so. Like, what's the minimal dialogue option? What's the no dialogue option? Let's and go with one of those. <laughs> Let's go with one of those. Yeah. But, and that and that's what's interesting to me. You know, we're uh, like going way. At, you know, this film has a famous. Uh, there's a famous moment of minimal dialogue later on in this movie. Sure. I you know I love you I know, but that is by no means in isolation. No, no, yeah, That's yeah, yeah. That's what the rest of the movie is like. The, you can find exchanges like that in every scene. Yeah. They have worked hard to pare down the script to minimal or no dialogue, and you lose nothing and you gain everything. I also like... It is a far better movie because of Because that, of that, yeah. yeah. Even when you first see 3PO in R2-D2 and they're talking, and 3PO turns around and says, oh, switch off. Yeah, and you 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 imagine in that moment that that's sort of the ultimate robot diss. 
Yeah. Or the ultimate rope <laughs> robot that retort. Twitter, whatever that means. Yeah. Because he takes real offense at he that. He does. How rude. All right. Well, why don't we take a break? Yeah. We're, sure. we, Luke hasn't been attacked yet, but uh, we're, we're well, off. We've, yeah, we talk, <laughs> well, I mean, listen, if we were going to recount all instances of Luke being attacked in this movie, it would take quite a while. Agreed. So let's just assume that at any given point we're talking, Luke is being attacked. All right. <laughs> and then we'll come back right after this. Does the coronavirus have you feeling oogie? Have you been sitting on your couch for weeks? Nay, have you been sitting on there for months? Well, it's time for you to get back in shape. Check out 2 a T Fitness. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. 2 a T Fitness was started by Tina Bernard. She is ready and raring to go to help you get back into the shape you want to get into. They've got all kinds of classes. They've got outdoor in-person classes. They've got online classes if that's what you prefer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back in shape. You're going to find a variety of exercises. You're going to have strength training, cardio, weightlifting, even fun five-minute burnouts that will push you to your limits. So get off the couch, get into shape. Go ahead and check out Tua T Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing at least the movie of my youth. Mm, mine too. The Empire Strikes Back, directed by Irvin Kirshner. I forgot to mention in our ranking episode that mm-hmm. uh, for a long time I never owned Star Wars. So you just watched just Empire watch and Jedi. Empire and Jedi on a loop. Why is that? In in my in another sort of analog bin. <laughs> yeah. Phase of my childhood, along with the Star Trek. Along movie. with going to the. <laughs> yeah. So this was another example, and we've seen many of this, and I guess it's no surprise why I'm doing this podcast <laughs> at this stage of my life. Uh, uh, of only owning the sequel. Yeah, there you go. Rather than the original. So this is another one of those, and maybe that affects my judgment of uh, of why I, I think this is more original than the original. Interesting. I don't get it. <laughs> what do you mean? I mean, was it not available to you? Did you not care? What What's the deal? I don't know. I mean, you don't, none of these decisions were made purposely. Yeah. It's just how it, how you know why why did I have Superman two to four and not Superman? I don't All know. right, <laughs> availability. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Very good then. Uh, I want to talk about a specific moment. I mean, well, first of all, I mean, we talked about Luke getting hit over the head by the wampa. by the wampa. So what we have here uh, is a wampa. It's. It's an early indication of what Luke's going to go through in the rest of the movie. <laughs> He's going to get his ass, his ass handed to him again and again and again, right? I know it was there to sort of cover up his his injuries, but I think it also serves the function of saying, "Get used to this, Tom." We learn. This is the Tom, Luke you're going to be seeing for the rest of failure. the movie. <laughs> All right. Don't give me give me that pro Yoda. Stance. I I understand learning through failure. 
That is why you fail. P.S. There's a famous story about me. Uh, I tore my uh, rotator cuff playing Pop Warner football. And uh, one of our old coaches loved this guy. His name was Mr. Poza. He was one of those tough old Italian guys. I'm lying in pain, screaming on the ground. He goes, Shots! Get up! Walk that off. Take a lap around the field. I'm like, okay, coach. So I started walking around the field like this, <laughs> shoulder hanging down. Oh, dear. And he walked up to his son, who was also a coach, and said, That kid's fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> we better get him off the field and get him some help. <laughs> so I think he prescribed to the Yoda. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, at any rate, so we're like you said, Luke gets a preview of what's going to be happening the whole movie, but we as an audience get to see his uh, some of his newly formed force powers. Well, there's a brand new force power here, right? Which is him using the force to yeah. pick pick up objects that are in the distance. Mm -hmm. I don't think we've seen that before, right? That's this is the first time. I guess that's true. Yeah, looking back, yeah. I mean, the lightsaber's familiar to us. It's the right. music we, we heard during the Obi-Wan uh, Darth Vader duel. So right. There's some familiar sounds and images, but the mythology is new. And you, of course, I mean, I got it too because I watched both versions, but uh, you get extra wampa. I don't want extra wampa. Neither do I, but... This movie is way, way better when we only heard the wampa. Yeah. It's like Evan Kirshner built the suspense and the anxiety and then Lucas shat on it. <laughs> you know what my note was, though, too? Although I read in the notes that apparently it's supposed to be two different wampas, one that hits them and a different one that is in the cave. <laughs> fucking bullshit. Which is such fucking That's nonsense. But uh, Why do we need to overcomplicate yeah, exactly. this? Apparently one was male and one was female. And I just... Is that why Irvin Kirshner keeps saying wampa? Yeah. <laughs> because a wampa is different from a wampa? I don't know. But uh, I also have a note here that I said, Luke's a bit of a panicker. The place to stay is the cave. Kill that fucking thing. You cut its arm off, now cut its head off. Stay where it's warm, shithead. But isn't, isn't, that, isn't that indicative of this film and how it doesn't mind undercutting the cool of its heroes. Yeah, true. Because we, I mean, it, we get new, we get the same with Han Solo later when, you know, he says, watch this. <laughs> right. Turns on the hyperdrive. It doesn't yeah. work. It, it powers, you know, it does that lawnmower <laughs> yeah. failing, failing sound. The great Ben Burt sound. So I think this movie is fine with letting its uh, letting its heroes squirm a little bit and showing them not at their best. Yeah, all of that's and good. Again, I think and I think it makes it, it makes a it a better movie, movie for sure. Um, but because you also and it get you that it reminds you because Star Wars is you know Luke's come so far so quickly and this is slowing down and showing us that he has limitations. Yeah, right. And that he doesn't. You know he doesn't have everything he needs to turn into a Jedi. But speaking, even by the even by the next, right? Week, yeah. But speaking to Jabba, Jabba like giving him shit. <laughs> yeah, he's like, who do you think you are? Right. You think that's gonna work on me? <laughs> hey, Wormy. Yeah, I'm from Tatooine. I know your friends called you Wormy. <laughs> but uh, 
you know. And I'm Jabber, and I'm calling you. Speaking worms. to what you were saying in the last segment, you know, uh, little lines, glimpses of character, because you also in that moment, once Han or Han realizes that Luke's gone, mm. and he says, "I'm leaving," and you know, he's getting shit from God knows who, but he says, "Yeah, well, that, that's yeah, bad. that's right. My friend's out in it. He's getting." Uh, I've had that. I have that line too. It's like making all the character connections from previous film. Pay yeah, exactly. In the story of this film, like we wouldn't buy that unless we knew their history. Yeah. But it also, but it, it raises the level of the, like you were saying before of their relationship where yeah. not only is Luke, his friend, he's willing to put his life on the line to go get his friend. Absolutely. And he'll see John Ratzenberger yeah. in hell. Christian hell. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think... One of the few There's mo- a Ratzenberg sighting, where, where but I don't the, think it's him in that val- moment. <laughs> one of the few moments where the sort of... The the, uh, the interplay between our world and the Star Wars universe kind of breaks down. Yeah. I'll see you in... I'll, he says, I'll see you in hell, and then he goes, Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> like, like he's John Wayne. I mean, it's... Uh, it's great. Yeah. How do you feel about the transitions? I mean, they're, they're what they're what they are. That's how <laughs> it's how we edit, right? In the Star Wars franchise, I mean, in retrospect, it looks kind of cheap, but as a moment, yeah. But late, it doesn't it speak late... to like the '30s and the yeah. serials and that these are based on? Yeah, I mean, you know, just the fact that you can now make those on iMovie, kind right. of doesn't help with the legacy of uh-huh. it. But there's a moment later on in this movie where I think they find that much later on, so we won't talk about it now, where I think they find the best use of the wipe mm. dramatically. Okay. So we'll talk about that later. All right. But I don't have an issue with the wipe. Okay, because I never did all. either, but at some, every once in a while I hear grumblings about stupid Star Wars wipes. Those are people who don't like fun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fuckers. But I do want to talk about this because not that you're not already assured to me anyway, uh, but there's a moment in, in this scene in which, you know, Luke's gone. Han is Han has already left. And I keep wanting. To... <laughs> yes. Let's use bo- let's use both. I know. <laughs> Since we have both in this. Exactly. Movie. Uh, I keep I keep I keep wanting to say Han and then I realized that most of the time they say Han. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway. But anyway, within all of this, there's a moment where, I, to me, I realize how good Irvin Kirshner is as a director. And it's when they decide to close the doors. I have the same Do thing. you? Because you have that push okay. in on Leia, which says everything you need to know about how she feels about both men, frankly. Yes. You yes. have Chewie's cry slash yell mm-hmm. and then you have a button you have a joke from 3PO which he realizes is an inappropriate yes. joke as he's saying it <laughs> then that's why it's funny so good Not, n- yeah that's it's yeah I well particularly I thought the way that I and I you know I I named him as well I said the way that Irvin Kirshner is able to make robot and bear grief seem as real as the humans exactly yeah <laughs> That's what I love about that moment. But everything you said is also is also true. Um, Obi Wan, Obi Wan, they got him for a day. Big Imbass, return of a dead legacy character and actor. 
It's the sequel convention for Big sure. Fat but... Imbass. Big Fat Imbass. But I guess looking at it as a, you know, in light of the other sequels we've seen, it's a it's an early surprise. It's early to pull that, right? I had never really like con- purposefully. I think, yeah, I'm right. Not, I don't mean I, I'm not. That's not pejorative. No, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, mean, I get. It's like that challenges your expectations of when that's gonna come, mm-hmm. if we're ever gonna see him again, because we've only ever heard him before as a ghost. as a ghost. And now it's the first time seeing him as a ghost, and it's just like what. And this movie is great at pulling surprise twists out of mm-hmm. nowhere. There's two or three that are absolutely masterful. There's the famous right. one. And then there's some not so famous ones which are just as yeah. good. And this is one of them for me, like Jesus Christ, Alec Guinness, Obi Wan. Early. <laughs> Basically all those two <laughs> that's the holy trinity for me. Jesus Christ, <laughs> Obi Wan, Alec Guinness. But but Alec um, Guinness superimposed. He's he's not gonna stand out in the snow. Right. <laughs> Uh, so there's a couple of things here which really lean into the dirty space of it yeah. all. Wampa dismemberment, uh, and cutting open the tauntaun to make a shelter. Yeah. This is like adding to the viscerality of the world that we mm-hmm. know. In a, but in again, a that's a way? that's a full Irvin Kirshner. I was just. I can't remember what he, I think it was a true story he read about or something as somebody that cut open a horse that was dead or something to stay alive. Well, that's, I mean, that's what it, it feels, it feels like, you know, visceral and raw, less sanitized than Star Wars already. Mm -hmm. And in addition to, uh, this is basically the same note, the back to tank and the medical droids, you know, we get to. It made me want to see a Disney Plus series that was a like a hospital drama set in the Star right, Wars galaxy. Right, right. Because we get like the nitty gritty. We see the nitty gritty of the fictional world, like how you nurse someone back to health. Yeah. You know how you survive in inhospitable conditions when you've got no techno. Well, I suppose you have a lightsaber to help you, but he could have cut. He could have found another way to cut that one. The the tauntaun. I also remember. Like as a kid, I remember thinking, "Wow, huh? Han- Han- fucking goddamn!" <laughs> Just say what, say whatever comes right to mind. So, <laughs> having hand with a uh, with a lightsaber just in his hands to me. Yeah, because this doesn't happen. Yeah, often, exactly. Right? It's just non. I think it's the only time in the series it's he's got one. Now. Yeah, it's a bit different. They've gone a bit light- lightsaber mad. Yeah, in recent years, but but at least when we were growing up, it wasn't. That was that was like. A big deal mm-hmm. for a non-Jedi to hold a lightsaber. Who isn't an Imperial officer <laughs> handing it to Darth Vader? <laughs> he was armed only with this. I know the line. I know you know the line. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, and, and we get a little bit of... So, C-3PO... Uh, is fluent in the is, so the this droid has this uh what is it called the imperial probe mm-hmm. droid they found it um and c3po is can understand what it's saying uh so it's like it's nice that they're using him based on for, what he's programmed yeah for his actual job <laughs> his, his actual job is a protocol droid um and it's exposition but 
it's consistent with his characterization because he begins it by saying, I'm yeah. fluent in five minutes, yeah. you know, five minutes. So it's like, he just wants to say yeah, that. Yeah, of course. Like, you know, so, so it's all, again, it plays into the narrative, but it, but it's organic. And this is where, you know, this is where I think up to this point, it kind of feels, it's not too different from the original Star Wars. And this is where I think it, we start to diverge. Oh, I don't know. I mean, just being on Hoth feels, of course, very different because you started a... Right, but, yeah, but sort of, you know, pace-wise, we're about the same. Yeah, right. At this right. point, now we're the first 20 minutes of the movie and we're preparing for, for our war. first battle. Yeah. So we're moving... We know now we're moving faster and differently yeah. to the original Star Wars, which is a good hour before anything happens sure. in that movie. Um, and then we reintroduce the Empire. You know, they get their reintroduction. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a homage to the overhead shot of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. We, we up the ante, we see the superstar. The superstar, story. right. And you get to see the fleet all together, so it's like upping upping the ante, but also broadening the it's ante. It, yeah, that yeah, is, right. Uh, quite, that metaphor quite works, <laughs> you know what I mean. And the return of Vader, first time we're seeing Vader yeah. since Star Wars. Uh, surviving legacy actor and character. Because And this, uh, this but, movie's the outlier of the original trilogy because it's 20 minutes in before we see vader and in the other movies you're seeing yeah. him you know right first away. five minutes or minute one yeah so that's that's a that's an inversion the other big inversion here is that he's now top of the imperial hierarchy because yeah. in in star wars he was a henchman right. effectively like a um and this is also the trend-setting moment where you know this is this is why we think of imperial officers as british yeah because pr- prior to this, even though they were Brit, the people playing them were British. They were dubbed by Americans, including Harry Shearer from Wayne's World too. Um, <laughs> but these are th- the three Imperial officers that we see. Right. Are here are three of the most ubiquitous UK character actors you will ever find. Is that you right? Turn on an episode. You turn on an episode like a 1970s or 80s episode of Doctor Who. You will likely find one of these three people. <laughs> That's great. Michael Sheard, Michael Sheard, who plays um, Admiral Ozzel, has been in Doctor Who five times. How about Piet? Playing different characters. Uh, at least once. Okay. Um, so that begins the trope of all Imperial officers are British. Um, and, you know, it's... It's I, well, I've got more to say about that, but it's great. I, and and this is the I think there's like a it's really interesting in terms of hierarchy, because you this film makes you think that Vader's and the prequels it makes you think Vader's always been at the top. Right. No. Yeah. Right. Of the Empire. But in Star Wars, he's he's not. not. You know, he's the new Palpatine. Like, new um, art. Imperial. You didn't mean to say Palpatine, did you? I did not. <laughs> 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 I just realized. I let it pass because I kind of liked the idea, even though I knew it was wrong. Yeah. If you're talking about Sheev in his uh, in his pre-Chancellor days, I think you're right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, I did call him Sheev, and I am sorry. Um, but but anyway, like he's you know the Imperial officers frequently talk shit to him. He was under Grand Moff Tarkin, and here they sort of start doing the same thing where. Admiral Ozzel is giving him a little bit of shit, like mm-hmm. more politely, but he do, he goes he he sighs and goes, 
my lord. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> right. we, he's like, you don't get what's going yeah. on. You, you know, very, very patronizing. And he's immediately put in his place. Right. With a telecom chokehold. Um, <laughs> and this is where sort of Vader become, effectively becomes the Emperor's surrogate. Yeah. For the rest of the trilogy. It's in, in sort of. I'm still blanking. What rat- is it? Tarkin? He's taken over for Grandma Peter Cushing. That's all. Yes. That's all I was trying to say. <laughs> yeah, um, Tarkin. Yes, Grandma Tarkin. Yeah. Um, so this, so that's the beginning of all of that. This starts here, and I think it's 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 brilliant. Um, another great scene with practically no dialogue between Luke and Han, which mm-hmm. is perfectly written, directed, acted. Agreed. Saying goodbye to each other without really saying anything yeah. and yet everything is you it's clear how what how they feel about each right. other how they feel about this moment but they just can't say it out loud because they're a couple of guys they're a, yeah a couple of one, useless one of men has a spanner one of whom has a spanner in his hand which makes it harder <laughs> to express emotions <laughs> and george lucas knows all about that oh, that's great coming from the world of american graffiti uh it's great that Le- Leia's leading... Le- Le- Leia, Leia. We'll yeah, we can do both. Again. She's leading the pilots. Yeah. And it helps because she's the only woman in this movie, the only female character in this movie, <laughs> apart from the woman who fires the iron cannon. Mm-hmm. It's just her... The, those are the only two women in this movie. Yeah. Um, so it's good that she has a leadership role here. Right. <laughs> it, it helps, you know, it, it, it gets you over the bitter aftertaste. Of there not really being much for women in this movie, um, and she's a nat, you know, because it's Carrie Fisher, she's a natural leader. Yeah, like, it looks like she's been doing this job forever, and she probably should have been doing it in the last film instead of that guy who looks like Moses. <laughs> Did you get like a so the the like Star Wars is a you know they based it on World War Two dogfights, right? Did you get a sense that they were going more for a sort of World War One feel here, with the trenches and the and the submarine drama nonsense? I don't know. I in space. Because I, I, it's not like I don't think of World War Two when I see trenches as well. Oh. Okay. You know. Um. So no, I don't know. I. I I love it. I, yeah, I was going to say, I, I, I don't care either way because I love it. But from the dogfight stuff. Like, it feels... It's different enough. One of my notes was, exactly how good a pilot is Luke? He's a good pilot. <laughs> All right. Like his father. Well, he keeps getting knocked down. I understand you've become quite a good pilot yourself. And Obi-Wan's word is... Is his bond. <laughs> Just everything that matters. I have no reason at this point in the movie to disbelieve anything he says. Well, give it a second. Yeah, give, give it a couple of minutes. Uh, the Imperial Walkers. Um, this and I think this and the Tauntauns. These are these are both stop motion. Yeah. Models. But the, like, I mean, the effects the- are so. Good. But it's like a kind of stop motion verisimilitude unseen before in cinema and maybe since. Yeah. Like you never question that it's all happening in the same place, right. but you've effectively got 
plasticine and real people yeah. in the same show. Right. And it does not look like that at all. Yeah. It you know, it looks like part of the physical warfare. It's a ma- it's a literal magic trick. One note I had um, for you a question because it, it, it appears that the what do they call the mini at ats, the two leggers? Yeah. It it appears Yeah, they get a little preview. It appears that they're added as a joke in this movie. That's really funny because I have a qu- I have a question for you later on about whether something was intended as a joke. Oh, that's funny. And it depends on whether it was added in the special edition or was there originally. So you're okay. going to have to tell me. Yeah. You think it is? You think it is? <sighs> I think it might have been thought of as a joke at the time, and then I think it was George Lucas who thought, "No, there's a practical reason for that. That's why we'll use those." So when he got to mm. Jedi, and it's yeah. a more confined space, you can't. <laughs> That explains why there's so many of those in, in on, uh, yeah. on Endor. That's interesting. I just I just assumed it was like that was the first model they made. Right. And they just wanted <laughs> yeah. to get it in because it because it was functional. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Even though maybe. it didn't quite fit with the rest of the of the walkers. They were just like, Hey, remember that prototype? Let's just stick that in the background. <laughs> <laughs> because Phil Tippett was just so happy with his work. Yeah. It's just like I can't not put this on screen. Um, it's this is I mean this battle is excellent. Oh, everything like about a, it. It's like a more focused reworking of the trench, of the dogfight from yeah. the end of uh, the the trench run. Yeah. Um, with the action far more concentrated, mostly in Luke's craft. Like they use the two the two pilot. But I'll tell um, you, you know, Lucas to kind of do do a lot of the, you know, X wing stuff. Well, this whole thing's an inversion, isn't it? Because you're doing what would normally come at the end of the movie at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, I, I think that's very intentional. Yeah. All the action is this, at the but, front. I want. Yeah, I, I I'm going to be a little bit cautious about how many inversions we talk about because I think there's an idea that this film is. Diff is like vastly different from Star Wars. I actually think you get everything you get in Star Wars, but delivered in a fresh and different way, mm-hmm. which I think is better than an and more different from an inversion. And again, all of it That's is interesting. imbibed with this different filmmaking ethos, which is about world building, not not spectacle. Well, and so the the, the other question I had for you because we talked about. In the la- not at the last series, but uh, when we were talking about Star Trek, uh, we were talking about yeah. what we appreciate, and you were talking about character moments and dialogue. Mm-hmm. And isn't that what this movie has in Spades? Yeah, it actually does. You know, yeah, amongst uh, the I, action, uh, amongst all the action with yeah. Wampas and fucking the, yeah. and this this at, you know this attack from the Imperial forces. You still have character moments and and great, great, great dialogue. Well, there's a great moment, you know, uh, there's a great mo- piece of, there's a great callback here to the Death Star, which you could imagine being handled in exactly the wrong way in a later Star Wars film or just in a modern franchise film. Mm-hmm. Um, where Dak, you know, as they're getting into the ship, Luke's, co-pilot Dax says, says I feel like I could take on the Empire by myself and Luke just says I know what you mean yeah. now there's a you can already in that you can say now how could you get this wrong <laughs> right you could have Luke saying well actually if you remember I don't know if you remember but I did you but know. I kind of did says, that I know what you mean. 
And it's like, it's a callback to an iconic moment from the previous film, but it's it's not emphasized. Yeah. It's just informal. It's just, it's conversational. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what I, and again, like, I know what you mean. Five, five words. Th- right. This is, right. that's all you need. Uh, and yeah, but this movie knows that that's all what you need. That's all yeah, that yeah. you need. And I but mean, I don't know what the, because we talked in Star Trek about the dialogue craft. Yeah. Here, I think this is more about discipline. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Paring down the dialogue to what... Not to say that these lines don't play in exactly the same way. Just as quotable, just as interesting, just as well-written. But it's a different discipline, I think. What I'm having a hard time... Especially given with Lucas's unwieldy dialogue from Star Mm -hmm. Wars, which is, you know, famously... Famously contrived. Yeah. This movie... This, that's the biggest inversion. For right. Me, so. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It li- they've literally it's gone. so okay, grounded. Let's cut, out, let's cut out 95% of that line. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Left with? That's the line. What I'm having a hard time, <laughs> you know, because I think of these movies getting better because Lucas stepped away and Lawrence Kasdan yeah. came in. But listening to the commentaries, Lucas did a lot of writing on these two movies. But this is where the American graffiti part comes in. But I'm having a hard time like... figuring out to what extent. Yeah. Are we talking about story or are we talking about dialogue? Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. I mean, the other the other major... When it comes to dialogue, the other screenwriter that stands out to me is Lee Brackett, yeah. writer of The Big Sleep and The Long Goodbye. Uh, but again when you actually look into that because it, it you know there's lee brackett wrote the big sleep mm-hmm. and so automatically in my head canon all the han and leia scenes right all the han and leia love scenes are written by her because it shows the same like expertise on how to write dialogue and didn't she die people. right around this time or this is the problem and i believe she's credited because she wrote an earlier draft of this uh, and as I as I understand it, it was pure space opera mm-hmm. and like you know like rooted in 1950s science fiction B movies in a way that they had to write around. So I'm not sure. If, hmm. But in my head, I'm going. She wrote the Big Sleep. Yeah. The Han and Leia scenes read. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, really yeah. Good Absolutely. Noir dialogue. Yeah. So I think I have the same struggle there to sort of like, oh, this is so obviously Lee Brackett, but maybe there's someone. You know, maybe there's someone else Interesting. actually physically doing it. I don't know. However, this you know, however this meal got cooked. It's a, it's a, yeah, had. it tastes good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't care if it was the sous chef or the guy who washes the dishes who put the garnish on it. But it could be that it, rat from Ratatouille. Yeah. But in my head, canon, obviously Lee Brackett and Lawrence Kasdan are the reason why the script is much sharper than ones that are just written by George Lucas. Mm-hmm that we saw in the previous film, but it might not be as, it might not break down as easily as that. Yeah. And this is a period where George Lucas is capable of way more, uh, in terms of screenplay, screenplay writing than, you know, he's closer to American graffiti than he is. Right. To Phantom yeah. That has to be remembered. Yeah. Interesting. Um, because he wrote American graffiti and that's one of the greatest. It's such, screenplays yeah, of all time. it's a great, great, great screenplay. Great, great, great movie. No, not, not single handedly, but, enough um yeah and i mean 
We haven't given any play yet to, uh, I like the running gag in this movie of Vader, <laughs> Vader constantly killing people. Yes. Love it. Well, I've, I've like a, a couple of, well, so you're talking about the telecom choke. Yeah. Which itself is like up in the ante, isn't yeah. it? It's like the last time he did this in person last time. Now he's going <laughs> to exactly. do it via, via satellite. At the end of it, I also like the sort of head nod from Piet to, to get Ozzel the fuck out of there. Well, I'll, I'll say I'll say now, um, one of the, I think one of the, the best aspects of this screenplay is that once Piet is promoted to Admiral, we see the rest of the film through his eyes. Yeah, right. And the rest of the movie is a kind of character arc for him. And that's what, you know, most people's biggest disappointments about Return of the Jedi are like the Ewoks. For me, it's that Admiral Piet's story doesn't continue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want to see what the next phase of this, because, you know, they ends on an impasse of Vader's not going to kill him, but he's on strike two. Yes, exactly. And I wanted to see what Strike Three. Yeah. Like, what is it? Strike but Three is you know, a. Some, but they bring the actor back, but there's no sense that they bring the character back. Right. But in this movie, Strike Three is a plane coming into his window. It's, but it's. I mean, you know, that's that's great. That's great directing mm -hmm. and great acting to take this minor supporting character and just play up his reactions to what's happening to the point where he has like a subplot exactly i was just gonna say a character in, subplot in, in, in order movie. for the audience in this fucking big move big in this space huge opera big space movie. opera the audience starts identifying with this one small subplot that's I mean, great the, you know and the the choice to sort of like have the reaction shot to the falcon going on him not vader yes is possibly the best choice made in this entire <laughs> that's movie so good but also, we're talking about Imperial officers. I've got to mention... Uh, I've got to mention General Veers. Mm -hmm. I mean... Let me ask you this. Is General Veers the most unqualified success... <laughs> right. ...of any Imperial officer you've ever seen? <laughs> he, he leads an attack successfully. Uh-huh. He covers up for his superiors. Mm -hmm. Why is this guy a general? <laughs> Why isn't this guy? Why doesn't this guy get promoted to admiral? <laughs> he's cool and dispassionate. He's played by Julian Glover. So you gotta. I mean, automatically, I like him, right? You know. I don't of understand that. why this guy is so low down in the ranks. Is what I'm <laughs> That's saying. all I'm saying. Because he's the only Imperial officer who seems vaguely competent. Yeah. At, at, like, at his job. He seems like um, someone Vader would be on board with. Right. You're my guy. Well, but maybe Vader doesn't have that kind of power to promote him. Yeah. Well, um, no, he's he's passing out promotions left and right in this fucking movie. Yeah, he didn't tell the Emperor about it. Though. No. He's he's pulling the Jimmy McGill here. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and I love the fact that once we get into the, well, so they they have to evacuate the base on Hoth. Mm-hmm. Which means, which means two things. One, we have to break up. We're breaking up the gang because yeah. literally the snow and the ice divides them. So geographic, like physically, so they have to go off on separate ships. So we're creating divergent storylines right. at this point. Uh, but I can't. Is there a movie before a sequel before this that broke up the ensemble rather than bringing the band back together? I can't think of any. 
Oh, wow, that's interesting. Because it, it makes it instantly different yeah. from the original right. movie. It's such a great shortcut to getting to making your sequel different than your original. Yeah. Because everyone's paired up differently. R2, you know, we split up R2-D2. And C-3PO, right. You know, it's like when Laurel and Hardy went, tried, you know, that period where they went <laughs> off to find different comedy partners and then came and back together. And they came back together because you're Laurel and um, Hardy. So, you know, and, and they, they fall into, you know, there's the Luke and, Luke and R2 double act and then there's the Chewie and Chewie Han right. C-3PO double, triple act. I don't know. Quad act uh, when you include stages. Leia, yeah. Yeah. Um, I just, I, I love, I love this battle. I love the fact that, again, this speaks to, we're doing, well, you get everything, you get everything you got in Star Wars, but delivered differently. Yeah. Luke, like, attaches himself with a wire to one of the Imperial Walkers, and then cuts out its guts with a lightsaber. It's like, there's still space for the swashbuckling yeah, Star Wars heroism. exactly. But it's just not, it's not the, the main dish. Mm-hmm. In the way it was. But we were speaking movie. in the Star Trek series about continuity, and I love that you get Wedge back. Yeah, uh, someone who has already been recast <laughs> in the in the previous film. <laughs> but we're sticking with this guy. Yeah. So now he's Wedge forever. Uh, well, he's Reg, he, Reg. He's Wedge until Rise of Skywalker. There you go. Um. Yeah, I think that's I think that's absolutely excellent. That kind of continuity. Uh. And then we get like again like a a, a sort of semi reenactment of Vader's entrance in Star Wars. Yeah, when he comes out of an ice cloud. It's pretty good. And then the Falcon escapes from some stormtroopers, except they're like in their ice uniforms. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so again, it's one of it's my like, notes. We, it's 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 reenactment, but it's in a fresh and different way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what that's just one of the things that this movie has going for it. Let's face it. I tell you I what. I, uh, well, why don't we take a well, why don't why don't we take a break and then we'll come back. I feel like this could be a full. Part. It's gonna be. I was literally just gonna say the same thing. I mean, it's we're not we're still on half. There's no way we're not going four segments. <laughs> we're still on half, Mike. <laughs> I mean, if not if not for this, then what? I know. Yeah. True. It's not like we're going to get much better than this. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a break, everyone, and then we'll come right back. I like to think I know something about beer. But nowadays, even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day, you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need. The Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. 
They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. Michael Schantz here from the Everything Sequel Podcast. We're going to be splitting the Empire Strikes Back episode into two parts. We thought two and a half hours was even a bit much for us. So, stay tuned for the next episode when you'll reach the exciting conclusion of two men talking about Star Wars. Thank you for listening.